Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. She's at the center of a love triangle. Brandy was crazy about the guy. But it's taking a toll. She got a little upset. It was kind of showing. One of the customers said she was scared of someone. Hours later, Brandy is gone. It's like she picked up her cell phone and her house keys and she just vanished. Is she a missing person or is this actually a crime? Now, could recent clues finally solve this decade-long mystery? Instead of trying to focus on who did it, I tried to focus on finding her. I remember these shoes. This is the biggest break they've had in this case in years. She couldn't have just disappeared. Somebody has to know. It's nearly 2.30 in the afternoon, Friday, May 20th, 2005, North Charleston, South Carolina. Alex, this is just a little diner in North Charleston, mainly for locals. One of the waitresses, 32-year-old Brandy Hanna, is about to leave for the day. Brandy had requested the weekend off. Brandy was about to get a ride with a customer to take her home, and she called her mother. She didn't want to leave without seeing her mother. Brandy's mom is the manager at Alex's. Today, she's also Brandy's relief. She had plans, you know, for the afternoon, so she couldn't wait for me to get there. Brandy needs her mother's help with her new cell phone. She wanted me to set up her voicemail, so I told her I will be there shortly, and then we'll do it then. Her mother had bought her a new cell phone so they could talk um, more often. The restaurant is located in the southern end of North Charleston. Well, North Charleston is kind of the sister city to Charleston. It's about 100,000 people. There are parts of North Charleston that are great, and parts of North Charleston that are not very good. Brandy's only been working here about three months, but she's been waitressing half her life. She began at age 16. I would try to get her to wait tables to earn money for school clothes and all. 
Brandy was a very pretty, shy, sweet girl. But she was so shy back then, she tried to avoid the customers. So she'd hide in the kitchen and do things back there. No, no, I can't go out there. I think she did great at it. You know, and I, th I think it helped her break that shell. Eventually, Brandy hit her stride. And by the time she started working at Alex's, hanging back was a distant memory. Once she would get on that waitress floor, it was like she just, you know, the little personality came out. She's very friendly, outgoing. Apparently, Brandy was very popular there. She brought business. She was that good. The minute Donna arrives, Brandy has her set up her voicemail on her new phone. Because I even teased her, and I said, well, Brandy, I'm going to put on your phone. This is Brandy's mommy. If you want to talk to her, call her. Brandy's still self-conscious about the sound of her own voice, so that's the greeting she uses. Yeah, and we laughed about it. But in the meantime, Brandy is still using her old prepaid cell phone. I didn't want her running out of minutes and something happened and not be able to call. And so that's when I told her, I'll get you this phone for my peace of mind. Donna has worked at Alex's for almost 30 years. When Brandy joined her there, it was more than just a job. We really enjoyed that, just seeing each other, being together, laughing, cutting up. Donna wanted her in her life more. Donna was very young when she gave birth to Brandy. She is my firstborn, my only daughter. Brandy spent part of her childhood living with extended family. She was a bit of a tomboy growing up. She even enrolled in ROTC in high school. Ultimately, she decided to become a waitress like her mom and revel in her many interests. She could make something that, you know, the normal person would find ordinary into something super fantastic and fun. She was very creative. One of the things she liked to do was sketch on the back of her ticket book. So she liked to draw. She was a really good artist. Since Brandy came to work at Alex's, she and her mother have become closer than ever. They were friends, and mothers and daughters grow up, and that's the best part when they can do that. Before walking out the door that Friday afternoon, Brandy grabs an iced tea to go and says goodbye. It was 3 o'clock Friday when she left, I remember, because Andy came and picked her up. Andy Ragnow um, would often give her a ride home from work. He was a retired law enforcement officer. He would drive people around just to make extra money. But her apartment was a little too far to walk. A few minutes later, they pull up to Brandy's apartment. He told me that he could let her out of the car, wait until she got inside safely before he pulled away. And he said the last thing she said to him was, I'll see you Monday. Brandy's North Charleston neighborhood is called Chicora, Cherokee. It was rough. Things were boarded up. Her mother actually begged her not to take the apartment. You just don't want your young daughter living in a neighborhood that is known for, you know, crime and drugs. But at this point in her life, it's what Brandy can afford. A nice apartment in a not-so-nice part of town. Her life had changed a tremendous amount in the past year. She'd been seeing a guy for six years and had just stopped seeing him and had a new boyfriend. She gave up her house, you know, a lot of her belongings for him. Brandy and her new love just moved into the apartment a month and a half earlier. Brandy was crazy about the guy. 
she seemed happier. I mean, she seemed like, you know, this is what she wanted. But then, according to Donna, Brandy's new boyfriend walked out on her without warning. Brandy was absolutely distraught. She was heartbroken. Why would you move her into this area and let her be alone, which was my biggest fear? Yet Brandy decided she wanted to stay in the apartment alone to give herself time to figure out what she wanted. After Brandy gets home that Friday, she spends the afternoon in her apartment. Brandy is a homebody, a lot like me. Get home and you're settled. According to her friends and family, Brandy doesn't like to go to clubs or drink. When she's not exhausted from work, she socializes with a tight circle of friends at home. She had said she was tired that day, so I, I just assumed she went home and took a nap. She does spend time on her two phones. I talked to her several times. She also hears from the man who'd recently left her, Zeke Lankford. They have a long talk. Afterward, Brandy talks to her mother again. She was going to be waiting for Amy to get off work, and then they were going shopping. Amy McAdams is Brandy's longtime friend. She waitresses at a restaurant where Brandy once worked. Because Brandy plans to go to the beach the next morning, she's hoping Amy can drive her to get a new swimsuit that night. She's told me that um, Zeke might come by. She wasn't sure because they were, you know, talking. But Amy's shift runs unexpectedly late. She says she lets Brandy know she'll be delayed. Later that evening at Alex's restaurant, Donna's dinner rush is almost over. And I was looking out a window towards where Brandy's apartment was. And I just got this god awful feeling that something was wrong. She calls the new phone she just gave Brandy. And I couldn't get through. Donna leaves a message, then another. I kept trying to call her because it was just a strong feeling. And it was awful. But Brandy doesn't call her mother back. She never went without answering her phone. But Brandy does text her ex-boyfriend, Zeke, later that night. He says it's about their plans to see each other. Finally, Brandy's friend Amy pulls up sometime after 10.30. Didn't get an answer. Amy notices Brandy's apartment is dark, except for the flickering light from her TV. She tried to call Brandy's cell phone, her old one, and she said she heard it ringing inside and assumed Brandy was asleep. So she heads home without ever seeing Brandy. The events of this night will be revisited over and over by Brandy's friends and loved ones. I was expecting her to call me back. Her mother wanted to hope that Brandy was okay. In some part of her head, she feared the worst. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. After Donna Parent can't reach her daughter, Brandy Hanna, Friday night, May 20th, 2005, she calls again Saturday morning. There's still no answer. I kept trying to tell myself, oh, she's just out doing something. At work at Alex's restaurant that day, Donna tells Brandy's friend Robin about Brandy's silence. I was just thinking she's probably upset. Things aren't going the way that she wanted with Zeke. If Brandy already left for the beach, maybe she didn't take her new phone with her. I worked day shift. When I got off that afternoon, I went by her apartment because it was daytime. Brandy's apartment is dark. I tried calling her phone standing outside her door. I couldn't hear the phone ringing. There was absolutely no sound. Another 24 hours pass. Sunday mornings, we used to do breakfast, meet up at my mom's restaurant. But this Sunday is different. Brandy doesn't show up. I told him, I said, I can't find her. I don't know where she is. Maybe Brandy meant what she said to her ride on Friday afternoon. Last thing she said to him was, I'll see you Monday. Now, Monday morning is here. And it was 7. And I'm like, oh, good, they haven't called me yet because she was supposed to be to work at 7. Brandy's mother is hoping no news is good news. Back in April 2005... Brandy chose her apartment on Florida Avenue for its proximity to Alex's restaurant, where she works. The neighborhood around her wasn't great, but she wasn't alone then. She was head over heels for Zeke. The look on her face was really what won me over, because she acted like she was blissfully happy. 
she just seemed like she had everything going good for her. The job, new relationship was working out, everything's going good. But Donna began to wonder when the couple came to her for a loan for the security deposit on the apartment. Zeke worked off and on for his father's plumbing company. When they moved in to Florida Avenue, he was not working. You're trying to move her somewhere that I really disapprove, and then now you're coming to borrow money. Where is this really leading? The answer came a few weeks later when Zeke left Brandy to return to his wife and children. Well, Zeke was still married. He wasn't divorced from his wife. Because of it, Brandy was absolutely distraught. She was heartbroken. But Brandy still had hope. Zeke and his wife had been separated for about a year. She just thought he was having a moment of weakness and that he was going to come back to her and they were going to be happy together. But she didn't like the fact that she felt like he wanted her to wait for him, that she wasn't going to play the other woman as much as she cared about him. But that's just not what she wanted. By the time 7.20 Monday morning, May 23rd ticks by, Donna is just starting to breathe a little easier. She knew the restaurant would have called her if Brandy didn't show up for work. I had no sooner had this thought than my phone went off. And it's an uh, employee from Alex's informing Donna that uh, Brandy didn't show up. Okay, this is not like her. Brandy was diligent. Brandy loved work, never missed a day of work. Donna contacts the North Charleston police to report that her daughter is missing. With an adult, um, you know, people say an adult has the right to be missing. She was 32 years old, and they said she has free will. She has a right to disappear and doesn't have to take calls from her mother or anyone. Something's not right here. And we were all just, like, panicking because the police wouldn't do anything. As the police have told me, if we chased down everybody that called in saying there wasn't a missing adult, we wouldn't do anything else. Donna immediately reaches out to Zeke Lankford. He's on a plumbing job that morning. And I said, look, I know you have a key to that apartment. I need to get in there. Donna asks him to meet her there, but not to go in. Yet when she pulls up to Brandy's apartment... Donna says that Zeke walks out. He says, well, I was worried you were going to find something. And I didn't want you to walk in and see her body. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Despite her fears, once inside, Donna is surprised. It just looked like she had stepped outside. Everything was orderly. No signs of any struggles or anything like that. There was still her cup that she had to come Friday from work with a glass of tea. There was a blanket on the couch, and it looked like maybe she had curled up, and everything else was normal. And next to her unmade bed, her prepaid cell phone is charging on the nightstand. But the brand-new phone Donna gave her is nowhere to be found. It's like she picked up her cell phone and her house keys, and she just vanished. Four more days pass before a North Charleston detective goes to Brandy's apartment to investigate. I gave him the key. I said, please, do whatever you need to do. Within an hour, he was back. I don't see any problem. I don't think anyone th thought there was any foul play. Her family fears exactly the opposite, that Brandy's been abducted, or maybe worse. 
As the days drag on with no word from Brandy, Donna enlists friends and family to begin searching for her. Just asking people from the area, you know, if they've seen anything. Some of them are like, oh, yeah, you know, she walks this way all the time. We see her all the time. What's going on? They plaster Brandy's neighborhood with missing flyers. Where she lived, it was predominantly black. And you've got this young white girl. So, of course, she stuck out. I felt awful. My husband had come involved because he was a cop, but because Brandy was his niece. Henry Smalley Jr. is in charge of North Charleston's boat unit. He knows the area surrounding Brandy's apartment well, especially the old abandoned Navy base and its reputation. If you wanted to get rid of a body in a very urban city like North Charleston, the Navy base is the perfect place to go. If any building was abandoned, we were in it. If it was unlocked, we were in it. We searched every one that we found open. But her family and friends find no trace of Brandy. Meanwhile, at Brandy's apartment complex, her landlords learn she's MIA. You know, quite honestly, I don't think anybody there really knew Brandy and that she was a good person and, and her character because she'd only been living there like a month and a half or so. The end of the month was coming and he told me point blank, you either pack her stuff and get it out or I will put it in the street. And I was like, why do you have to do that so soon? You know, because at some point it's kind of a toss of is she a missing person or is this actually a crime? Brandy's lease is month to month and her rent is only paid through the end of May. So not even 10 days since Donna last saw her daughter, she and her sister Yvonne go to Brandy's apartment to pack up her things. They find a small can hidden under a table. She had received a paycheck that day and plus her tips. All of that money is inside it. If she was gonna up and leave, don't you think she would have taken all the money that she had to her name? None of her clothing is missing either. Brandy had this picture of her and I. She was a baby, and it did not matter where she lived, that picture went. Her money was in the apartment, all her clothing, and that picture. And there's no way she would have just walked away. By June 1st, 2005, only 10 days since she went missing, Brandy's apartment is vacant. The detective never made it a crime scene. It's symbolic of how quickly traces of Brandy are beginning to disappear. But two doors away, Donna and a North Charleston police officer hit on a lead. I went to the complex here and I met with the young lady. Brandy's neighbor tells him that around 9 or 9.30 the night Brandy disappeared, she saw her get into a truck. It was a red truck with a white stripe down the side. It had one other feature, notable for its shock value. It was a Jason mask taped to the grill of the truck. One week has passed since Brandy Hanna vanished from her North Charleston apartment. And I kept thinking, you know, she's going to turn up, you know, she's going to turn up. But she hasn't. Shavetta Johnson, whose apartment is two doors away from Brandy's, has told police what she witnessed the night Brandy disappeared. 
than a white male in a red truck pulled into the parking lot. And Brandy exited her apartment, got into the truck. She saw him in the parking lot, but she never saw him leave. Lieutenant Rick Keyes is a friend of Brandy's family, but isn't officially on her case. He took Chevetta's statement that day. I want to make sure that her line of sight from what she was telling she was saying wasn't obstructed in any way and that she wasn't confused about what she saw. Because, according to Chevetta, she saw who was behind the wheel. The truck Chevetta described resembles the vehicles of two men in Brandy's life, Zeke Lankford and Ray McAdams, both Brandy's ex-boyfriends. Ray had his own truck. It was a red one. Both men also work for Zeke's father's plumbing company. The company trucks are distinctive. They're also red with a white stripe. But only one truck has the unique hood ornament Chevetta says she saw. It had been known that Ray had a hockey mask, a Jason mask, affixed to the front of his truck. Before Zeke, Ray McAdams was Brandy's long-term live-in boyfriend. She'd been in a relationship with Ray for six years or so. When she started working at Alex's, she gave me the impression that she was afraid of Ray. But it hadn't always been that way. He wanted to marry her. And at the time that they got engaged, that was what she wanted. Until Ray's close friend, Zeke, moved in with them. Zeke fell on some hard times, um, was kind of going through a divorce. Ray was looking out for Zeke as a friend and letting him crash on the couch. Then Ray discovered that Brandy and Zeke had fallen for each other. They were in his and Brandy's house, and it was only natural that he would feel betrayed. He kicked Zeke out. I was told that he told Brandy she could stay, but she opted to leave and go with Zeke. But apparently, Ray didn't forget Brandy. Ray kept trying to convince her that Zeke wasn't right for her and that she needed to come back to him. But even when Ray and Brandy were together, Donna didn't think he was good for her daughter. They were sitting in the restaurant one time, and just out of the blue, he said, I can kill your daughter and get away with it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And that's when he said, I could take her and make her disappear and you'd never know. He had a problem with Donna. I don't know what it was. I took it as he was a man and he was boasting, making himself more than he was. And I looked at him and I told him, I said, that's really a crazy thing to tell a young lady's mother. Now that Brandy actually has vanished, Donna can't help but wonder about that. After Chevetta Johnson told Lieutenant Keyes what she saw, he proposed an idea. Would you be willing to take a ride with me and uh, tell me if the guy that I talked to is him? She said, sure. He had put a, uh, a Bluetooth in his ear so that she could communicate with him. I said, now, if I knock on the door and he comes to the door and it's not him, you tell me it's not him, then, you know, I'll come back to the car and we'll leave. As soon as the door opened and, and, and Ray is standing there, She is not just telling me it's him. She's yelling in my ear to the point I'm afraid he's going to hear it. That was a witness that I've never seen so excited to say, I am 
not 98% sure, I am 100% sure that was him. But Ray has an alibi for the night Brandy disappeared. He says he was at a club called The Plex, trying to get a job as a bouncer. A friend confirms he was with him. Brandy's other love interest, Zeke Langford, also has an alibi. He kept saying he was going to meet her, but then he had to work, and so he didn't meet her. He's not in the area. He's allegedly on a job site. Zeke's brother-in-law confirms his story. The detectives questioned Zeke, and they questioned Ray. Of course, uh, both gentlemen um, kind of pointed a finger at one another. Both said that they had nothing to do with her disappearance at all. Two weeks after Brandy went missing, police asked both men to take a polygraph test. Ray came in roughly about two weeks after the fact and uh, didn't have any problems passing the test. But Zeke didn't take it for two months. Zeke, although he did pass his polygraph, he was uh, more hesitant to take it. At the exact same time, another missing person case 1,500 miles away, begins making headlines around the world. The search for an American teenager missing in Aruba is being stepped up. 18-year-old Natalie Holloway has been missing since Monday when she failed to return from a high school graduation trip. The Alabama native's disappearance is even covered by Charleston's own Post and Courier. There was a lot of coverage for Natalie Holloway. And I couldn't understand because there was very little for Brandy. And as her mother, you question it. Not that I was begrudging her, but you question, why not for my child? Donna writes a letter to the editor of the Post and Courier asking this question. And I read that letter and said, you know, she's absolutely right. Why haven't we written a story about this? Now, Brandy's disappearance finally becomes front page news in her own hometown. Brandy has blonde hair, blue eyes, and weighs 115 pounds. She's 32 years old. Outside Alex's restaurant, where Donna works and Brandy used to, a banner goes up. You could actually see from the interstate with Brandy's picture on it and, you know, missing Brandy Hannah and a telephone number to leave tips. She couldn't have just disappeared. Somebody has to know. But the neighborhood's been quiet. I had a lot of contacts down here, people that would tell me if they, you know, things about murders or crimes. Uh, and they said, we're not hearing anything, Rick. We're not hearing anything about her disappearance. Even after a reward is offered. And in these missing person cases, you know, the longer you go, the less likely you are to find anything. But while researching his article on Brandy, Brian Hicks uncovers new information. One of the customers said she'd gotten a call and she was scared of someone. The call reportedly came in Friday during Brandy's shift. Because there was a time where she got a little upset. It was kind of showing, and I asked her what was going on. According to Robin, the call had something to do with Zeke's wife, Diana. I don't know if the phone call was actually Diana calling her or somebody calling Brandy telling her that Diana had a problem with her. 
could this have had anything to do with Brandy's disappearance? Three months after Brandy vanished, an official search is conducted. Dogs are brought in to track Brandy's scent. We had items that belonged to Brandy that I took with me. The search is led by the Q Center for Missing Persons. The North Charleston police participate with Brandy's friends and family. And then another person shows up, Zeke Langford. My niece was with us, and Zeke looked at her because he was really concerned about the dogs and said, can the dogs smell her? smell anything if she's covered up. Afterward, Zeke is asked by authorities not to participate again. But the search ultimately results in no new leads. And because Zeke has a confirmed alibi for the night Brandy disappeared, the police have no reason to focus on him. Seven months pass before there's a new and unexpected twist I was shocked. I'm thinking, oh my God, if he had something to do with it, I'll never know. It's April 2006, almost 11 months since Brandy Hanna disappeared. I was at work and the phone rang. The caller is the mother of Brandy's ex-boyfriend, 34-year-old Ray McAdams. She has some stunning news. Her son had passed that morning. He had had a fatal heart attack. She didn't want me to hear it on the news or anything. There's no way to know if Ray may have taken information about Brandy's disappearance to his grave. If this would have been treated as a homicide at the time, I think the target would have been Ray, the ex-boyfriend. But the North Charleston police never did a forensic analysis of Ray's truck or the red and white Langford plumbing trucks Zeke often drove. So it quite possibly could have been either one of them in that truck. But Ray's alibi had a hitch. His sister-in-law, Amy McAdams, Brandy's best friend, says she dropped off some things for Ray around 9.30 or so. Amy was married to Ray's brother at the time. But Ray had told police he was at a nearby club then. His story was that he went to the Plex that night, approximately 8, 8.30, and they were there all night till 1 or 2 in the morning. Police never get to the bottom of this inconsistency. Two weeks after Ray's death, Brandy's uncle, North Charleston officer Henry Smalley Jr. also passes away from cancer. He tried everything to find out what happened to his niece. He could never find anything, not a sign, not a struggle on anything. Before he died, he made a promise to Brandy's mom. I realized how sick he was, just the way he was. He looked and everything, and he told me, He told her when he got to heaven, he would find Brandy. He would find out what happened, and he would find a way to get back to her. 
Donna had a long line of detectives who were very serious for a while, and uh, they would either move on and be transferred or give up on the case as, you know, just another cold case. But years pass with nothing but false sightings and dead ends. I needed help. I wanted somebody that acted like they cared. It's been six long years since Brandy's banner went up outside Alex's restaurant. Something about her, her eyes and the poster stood out. It resonates with a member of the North Charleston police force with no ties to Brandy's case. I don't do missing persons cases. But Sergeant Ron Locker reaches out to Donna. I introduced myself, told her who I was, uh, told her I didn't have any information on the case, but I would like to talk to her about it. He asks if he can reopen Brandy's case. And I told him then, with her missing, you pray for an angel. He was my angel. Sergeant Locker digs deep into Brandy's case file and re-interviews original sources of information. He's surprised to learn some potential leads in Brandy's case were never investigated. Case in point, the phone call Brandy allegedly received at Alex's restaurant the day she disappeared. It was in the notes that she was uh, very unnerved, uneasy. I wanted to see if I can get the phone records to see if I can get a number of who may have called her. But with the time that had elapsed, you know, because I came in six years after the fact, the records are gone. And not only was Ray McAdams' truck never processed for blood or DNA, Nobody seems to know where this red truck went. The same is true for the Lankford plumbing trucks. But there's one lead the detective does resurrect. Donna gave me a call one afternoon and said, hey, Ron, Chevette is here. Six years earlier, by her own account, Chevette Johnson was the last person to see Brandy alive. And she ID'd Ray McAdams as the man who picked up Brandy. Now, Sergeant Locker wants to talk to her. He wanted to go back through her story again, just like it was new. I showed her a couple pictures, and she was very adamant that Zeke now was the one that she saw that evening in the truck picking up Brandy. But initially, she had ID'd Ray. Now Zeke? No hesitation whatsoever. Sergeant Locker says he wonders if Chevetta's original identification was influenced by the fact that she was taken directly to Ray. Could she have been mistaken? Ray was taller than Zeke, a little heavier, but from a distance, especially if they were seated, both had the same facial characteristics, round face, both had the same scraggly hair, both would have had like slight beards, so could have been either one. Yet Sergeant Locker perseveres. He also changes tactics. Instead of trying to focus on who may have been responsible or who did it, I kind of tried to focus on finding her first. He decides to look for Brandy's remains in the logical spots near her old apartment. My theory into her disappearance was that she was murdered. It brings him back to North Charleston's old Navy base a place Brandy's family searched repeatedly. Now, it's both a riverfront park and an industrial area. But in 2005, 
the park was actually being built. So that whole area was already dug up. On the northern edge of the Navy base was an old golf course. Over the years, it's slowly been swallowed by salt marsh. It sits there on the water with a lot of marsh front, and it's filled with alligators. If you, uh, if you wanted to dispose of a body, that would be the perfect place to do it. Back in 2005, the course was crisscrossed by dirt roads. They were basically for the golf carts, but they're definitely wide enough for a vehicle. Sergeant Locker's investigation widens to include this area. I would throw in a bunch of old clothes, uh, go down with a shovel, and uh, start digging just in random areas. It almost seems like a wild goose chase until he gets an idea. I waited till low tide. Once the water level got low enough, I walked down. Um, right beyond the cement wall there is where the old pier is. Locker digs deep into the sand under it. I hooked a, a metal ring um, that was hollowed out in the center, kind of like a ring of a 55-gallon drum. And when I had pulled the shovel, the ring came with it, and with that came the shoe. This is the biggest break they've had in this case in years. I remember these shoes. Could this lead to something? Could we be finally moving a step instead of just standing still? In May of 2011, Sergeant Ron Locker breathes new hope into Brandy Hanna's missing persons case with his unusual find, a woman's Nike sneaker, size 10 and a half. Brandy was a tall, thin female, approximately wore a size 10 shoe. They're Nike cross trainer shoes, so you would have to buy them a half size bigger or a size bigger. The day she worked at Alex's, she was last seen wearing white and blue Nike women's cross trainer shoe. And there's yet another intriguing detail. I checked the date code on the tongue of the shoe. It was January 28th of 05. Four months before Brandy went missing. But there's only one way to know if it's Brandy's sneaker. Bring it back, package it, send it off to the lab for DNA. While waiting for those results, Sergeant Locker zeroes in on where he found it. I wanted to excavate that area to see if, um, you know, there's any bone fragments that we could, or any clothing that we could locate. So the police actually brought in the state archeologist and a team of professionals. They dug on this site, seeing if they could find anything else. For three days, the team digs and sifts through the tidal sands. But we weren't able to find anything there. Once more, Donna was left disappointed. It's not until August 2015, four years later, that Sergeant Locker gets a definitive answer on the DNA. Unfortunately, there was no DNA on it, no human DNA, so we cannot confirm that it was hers, and we can't say it wasn't either. But the size, the color, the date on the shoe, it was all consistent, because she had just bought these shoes before she disappeared. I mean, what are the odds of the same size, same color, same make, the date code, and in an area that's so remote where I believe a body was disposed of? So in my mind, it's hers. But can the sneaker somehow tell him more? Sergeant Locker has a theory that originates upstream, along the path of the Cooper River's tidal currents. 
Back over that way is going to be the old golf course. So I believe her body was put on the old golf course. And then the sneaker would have come down through the inlet, wrapped around the island here, and made its way down the shoreline. And if you keep going down the shoreline, it will eventually take you down to where the cement pier is, where I located it. And earlier that summer, a cadaver dog search on the old golf course yielded a positive hit there. As Ron explained it to me, they picked up the scent of human remains. It's going to be off to the left over here, probably about 100 yards in. Could Brandy be there? The challenge is the salt marsh. It's impassable any time except low tide during the winter. But Sergeant Locker says that won't stop him. We're going to excavate that area as well in hopes of finding some remains. Right after Brandy's disappearance in 2005, her mother wondered if one or both of her daughter's ex-boyfriends might have had something to do with Brandy's disappearance. But she's changed her thinking. I became convinced to a degree that Ray really wasn't involved. When I would hold a vigil, he would come to it. I even called Ray one day and I told him, I'm sorry I've been so hard on you. He was very saddened. His actions showed that. Whereas Zeke would talk to me and there was no emotion. Back in 2005, Lankford told the Post and Courier he didn't know what happened to Brandy. He said he suspected Ray knew more than he was telling, and he feared the worst. But to date, police have never had conclusive evidence either man was involved. The Alex's restaurant, where both Brandy and Donna used to work, closed in 2012. Former customers often ask about Brandy, hoping for an answer that still hasn't come. So much he said, she said, hearsay, with no real, um, no real clues, you know, no real evidence. I just want to know that if she's not with us, then she's with God. I want for her mother to be able to sleep at night. I always tell her, I said, no, don't give up hope. Hope's all we have. Maybe one day we'll find out what happened. I still cling to hope. I try to tell myself she has amnesia. She doesn't know who she is. But really, you know, but you don't, you, know, you don't want to admit it. You never give up hope. If you have any information about Brandy Hanna or her disappearance, please contact Sergeant Ron Locker with the North Charleston Police Department at 843-300-8241.